Ultimately, everything kind of boils down to one question. What's the fucking point? So let's talk about it. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and this podcast brings a little levity and a lot of curiosity to some of the biggest questions and ideas that we meager humans can ponder. Join me and our guests each week as we dig into topics around psychology, human behavior, consciousness, spirituality, philosophy, and more, all with a healthy dose of existential angst. And now, today's episode. Welcome back to the podcast, friends. It's episode number 37, and I'm so glad you're here. As you can probably tell through these lovely bird songs. I'm walking through the woods right now and normally I don't have my phone when I come out here but I knew I was probably going to record this intro out here which I'll tell you why in a second. But man I am struggling stepping over my words this morning tripping over them and that's part of what happens when you're like I'm gonna record this in the woods with zero bullet points or script. Um but I'm rolling with it. So I'm gonna keep it really simple and just tell you a little bit about our guest. We'll get into the episode. Also, the theme for this month is story. So if you haven't listened to my intro episode that I recorded last week, it's just like 25 minute solo episode talking about the different ways that story shows up in our lives. So our guest today, Drew Hicks, is a storyteller professionally and in the personal side of his life also tells stories. Um, And we just had a really lovely conversation about that idea of storytelling and the different ways that he has navigated that and really stepped into his identity as a storyteller. Um, He started telling stories in Hollywood and working on scripts and ghostwriting. And now he co-owns a business called Fourth in San Antonio, Texas, though they work with clients all over the place to do things like branding, design, user experience, helping brands to tell their stories in ways that people can actually relate to. And the name Fourth comes from this idea of the spaces in between. So Drew will explain that in the episode. But when I think about that, I think that is a perfect choice for somebody like him who really moves between these worlds of the woods and technology and in a way that's just integrated, that's whole life, that's not siloed, which is one of the things that I struggle with because I can tend to be a little all or nothing. I'm like, I'm going to be a woodsy person. I'm going to be an earth-centered spiritual person. So therefore I need to move to an eco village in the woods and I'm going off the grid, Uh, which of course is not happening anytime soon. But Uh, Yeah, that's one thing that I admire about Drew. And I did meet him at one of those kind of earth-centered spiritual gatherings. So I got to spend some time with him around the campfire telling stories and was just like, wow, this this guy is a gifted storyteller. And he's just a really great Renaissance dude. Um, One of those people who's super charismatic and multi-talented and you like kind of want to hate them but you can't because they're also just really nice (laughs) so and you'll also get to hear about drew's wonderful uh partner wife lauren in the interview some she is incredible hashtag relationship goals so anyway before i trip over any other words let's get into this episode and i'm heading up a little rocky patch here so i gotta be careful where i'm stepping Enjoy this interview with Drew Hicks. You can find links in the show notes to find him online, but I'll also tell you up here, the website for his company is fourth.design. That's number four, th.design. Enjoy the episode. So ghostwriting is, um, I, I fell into it um, professionally through a weird series of events, uh, I went to film school. So my BFA is in film production. I have a degree in cinematography. Um, but I studied philosophy and religion and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so I've always liked to write. I've always liked to read. Um, and I kind of accidentally found out 
that uh, storytelling is a really, really valuable skill to people who <laughs> aren't particularly thought? good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't didn't really know what I was ever going to do with that degree, especially after I left L.A. and, and moved to Texas. And um, yeah, I just found that there were a whole lot of people who needed help structuring what they wanted to say. And the best structures that we have for communicating ideas are stories. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of had this crazy degree in storytelling, as it turns out. And so uh, it was really totally happenstance. I ended up copywriting on a couple of big ad campaigns for a company. And in the process of that, I got really close with the chairman and the CEO of this Fortune 500 company and um, ended up becoming the chairman's ghostwriter for a year and a half, two years. And I, I I had other clients in the company uh, that I worked with particularly really, really, really technical people who were a little bit awkward or, or, you know, they, they were, they were kind of rock stars in their field, but then they would walk on stage and just bomb. Right. And so I started writing for these people and it it was, it's really, really fun. Like, and, and doing speech writing and speech training and, and all sorts of, all sorts of things. But the, the part of it that is really fun is you really do have to kind of climb in someone else's skin Yeah. and, and breaking your own, uh, habits when it comes to writing is really, I, I think it's a really fun process. So everyone I've ever ghostwritten for almost everyone I've ever worked with professionally. I know this sounds creepy. I have a file on them <laughs> and, I, and I write down colloquialisms and little turns of phrase mm-hmm. and things, things that they like to say and don't like to say, um, character study. Yeah, totally. Uh, background material for mm-hmm. sure. Like where they're from, uh, how many siblings they have, all kinds of stuff like that, because the, their language changes entirely. Um, and so, yeah, and then people I work really, really close with and people I've written for, I, you know, I record most of my conversations with them. I have a lot of those transcribed. And so I can, I can, I know a lot about people. I have a couple of friends who are a little weirded out who feel like uh, I, I maybe know a little too much about them based on the way they talk. So. <laughs> yeah, like, um, it's like, stop, uh, stop analyzing me, Drew. Um yeah, but yeah. it's fun, right? It's like, especially if you translate that into oral storytelling or even just yeah. telling jokes, right? Like a lot of improv people um, do this. You you have to change everything when you embody a character. Like yeah. you have to change your voice and your posture and all of that stuff. And and the more context you have to to do that with, the, the wider your ability to sort of skinwalk is. Oh, yeah. And I feel like especially when you're helping prepare someone to do some kind of live speaking um, cause then it has to be so them, like I've, I've written byline articles about, you know, retail point of sale software in someone else's voice, but that's like not that personal of a thing. Right. So, but doing, getting up there and doing a speech, you have to know all of those sort of quirks and how to, how to make it them, but also they don't necessarily have that skill, which is why they're hiring you. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's a fun task. I don't get to do enough of it these days. I I still get to do a little bit of it, but, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things like, like in, in your job, right. Professionally, like you don't want to give people a line read. Yeah. You don't want to say you need to say this this way. Um, need to kind of, it's, it's the art of guiding them to find the solution for themselves. And there's so much within the different like modalities, especially certain ones that really emphasize like use their language, use their language, use their language. So rather than putting, you know, even if I think, well, this word probably describes better (laughs) what they're trying to say, like I'm going to use their language and I can, you know, offer some other ideas, of course, but using their language is going to be so much more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and similarly, right, writing for somebody or helping somebody craft a story that ultimately they are going to tell. It's it's not my story; it's their story. Um, you know, you you want it to to sound like their voice. You want it to be in their words. And um, getting to the bottom of that stuff with clients is always really really fun. Yeah, and so it, I mean, it makes sense to me how you made this transition from the more fictional storytelling to now like helping businesses and brands and personalities tell their stories <laughs> in sort of the, the marketplace um, their, or to their customers and whoever. But describe a little bit about, I don't know, I don't even know what, what the question, I just, that transition is interesting. And uh, did you see yourself ending up here? Did you hope, think that you were going to stay in like film and TV? <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I th- I think I still have friends out in L.A. who are wondering when I'm going to move back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, 
I don't know. It's it's one of those things. I, 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 I certainly didn't plan this. This certainly isn't where I saw myself being. But, um, you know, I, I have started my own company and we do a lot of really traditional design stuff, you know, uh, logos and brands and, and UI UX stuff and front end development. Um, but where I love to be is in the in the research part of that hmm. and, and in the kind of identity part of it. So what what I have learned is that um, paying attention to storytelling, paying attention to the words that people use and the way that they use them, uh, it, it, it can be a powerful tool for developing, um, you know, brands, right? New restaurant, what's it going to be called? Developing an identity system for it, you know, all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, all of those brands are successful to the extent that they are able to connect with communities and with customers. Mm -hmm. And and I mean that literally, like people being able to walk into your store and buy something, right, is a pretty basic driver. Yeah. Um, but the, the storytelling at a broader level about how they connect uh, messages to communities and to, and to um, clients and customers is, is really, really powerful. And so a tremendous part of my job is spent listening and note taking and researching and trying to find the right words and trying to find the right messages. Uh, and yeah. And then, you know, I don't know, coming up with a logo and building an application and, and you know, that, that part to me is the, it's, you know, it's funny, like, um, do, do you know the old story about Alfred Hitchcock? He, he, he hated making movies. Uh -uh. He loved writing movies and he loved doing storyboarding and famously <laughs> he would, he would show up to set and just go to sleep. What? And, That's and people would be like, hey, do you want to direct the actors? And he's like, I mean, are they saying the words in the script? And they're like, yeah, he's like, then I know they're fine. <laughs> do you want to look at the camera? He's like, no, does it look like the storyboard? Like, I get, I, I did my part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, like, I don't know. Uh, that's so great. Yeah, I could see that that part of it being what's most compelling for you. And then you have like a, a business partner is your business partner more on the execution sort of side of things. He is absolutely he is off the charts, smart, cool, total executor, technician, technologist. Uh, it's a it's a match made in heaven. It's wonderful. Awesome. That's great. And <laughs> I, go, here, I here are all the ideas. Go make the things. Oh, that's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> uh, and the name of your business, Fourth, I yep. was on your website and looking, you know, read the story of where the name comes from. And and I would love for you to share that here because I it was just very compelling. Yeah. So we, um, okay. So it, it, it gets to, we're talking about storytelling. This is good. So we wanted to tell a story. And a lot of times a good way, the, the best way to tell a story is to be invited to tell a story, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, we wanted a name that was evocative and elemental and pretty simple, but that kind of went, you know, wait, why, why are you called that, <laughs> right? It's not in a contrived way. Mm -hmm. And so our company's called Fourth, 4TH. And um, the rationale behind that uh, is it gets to the core of kind of our design ethos, which is um, social scientists divide the world into three spaces. You have first, second, and third space. So first space is, you can think of first space like your home, right? It's where you keep all your stuff. It's where your family is and your cats and your dogs. Um, it's hypothetically where you have total control, right? And you're, in, you're kind of in charge. Um, you have second space, which is where we compete for resources. So, um, you know, traditionally that was the Savannah and hunting. Uh, you can think about it as the marketplace if you want to go into a business context. Um, but it's it's where we're gathering resources and, and doing the things we need to do so that our first space is taken care of. And then third space is sort of where uh, I like to say it's where value is assigned democratically. So it's where all of our voices are equal and we're not really competing and we're not fully in control, but we're just exchanging ideas. And so the most famous example of that, like it's, there are literally books written about it is like Starbucks, right? Mm -hmm. Or Barnes and Noble or something. It's just like, just hang out. Everybody can talk. Everything's equal. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're not really working. Okay. So the, this is where it gets interesting. So the arrangement of those spaces necessarily creates context mm -hmm. between them. Mm -hmm. So uh, the way that we, the way when we go to study physical space, you know, if there's an office, uh, a residence and a park, where those things are placed in relationship to each other will determine how they're used and by who they are, by whom they are used by. Um, and, and we can, start to adjust physical space so that we're designing the kinds of environments where we have vibrancy and circulation and density and porosity and all these big important things that real estate developers talk about. So that, that 
that liminal space between the spaces is called fourth space. Mm. And, and so that's why we called the company that. Now, we, we do a little bit in the built environment, but we would contend that that idea translates to um, businesses large and small. Like yeah. there are things you there are things you can control. There's the market where you're out there competing for share of voice. Um, and then there's all these social spaces. And we have to look at all of those things if we're going to design uh, good experiences for for your clients and for your users. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like the, the to put a bow on that, kind of the shortest version of it is like no one has ever sat down and said, like, boy, I'd really like to go to a website right now. Like, <laughs> I'm just, just, I don't care which one, just anyone will do, right? And <laughs> similarly, like no business has ever needed a website. What they need is a way to connect with people, right? Or to open up a new market or to sell handbags, and like, if, and you know what, websites are pretty good at all of those things. Yeah. But there are other drivers, and there are other things we can look at that 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 may work better. And so we really encourage our clients to spend a lot of time on research. Um, let us let us do our homework. Let us go learn a lot about you and about your business, uh, and then let's go design solutions that 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 fit the problem space that you're acting in. Right. And the best copywriting is always storytelling, even if it is about freaking retail point of sale. Like people want to, they want it to be human and relatable and that's story. Yeah. You know, human is a really, really good word, right? Mm-hmm. I think, I think there's a lot of, um, capital B branding going on. That's mm. like value signaling and it's, it's very manipulative and yeah. it's, um, and that's not really what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I think human is a great word. Um, you know, it should, it should communicate meaning in a way that is succinct and impactful. Mm. Um, and it should communicate value, but it certainly shouldn't trick you into anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at all this fire festival nonsense, right? It was all, <laughs> all what's storytelling. Best branding ever. Lie. Yeah, it's a total lie. Yeah. yeah well, you, and you mentioned in describing sort of where that fourth space comes in, <clears throat> the liminal space between the spaces. Such a, a beautiful idea. And that probably wouldn't make for as good of a company name as fourth, but, <laughs> but, but I love where that idea comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you've, okay, you've outed me now because, you know, in my heart of hearts, I am, <laughs> I am obsessed with mythology and folklore. And I, I come from the Carl Jung, Joseph Campbell. I mean, you can see my bookshelf behind me. Um, <laughs> And and look, I think I think those old ideas really are elemental. Like I think liminal space is like I, we have a we have a fancy word for it, but like man, we've been talking about liminal space as long as we've been telling stories to each other. Like mm-hmm. it's we've talked about the hedgerow and we've talked about the underworld and like we've we've had these these words and these conversations and um, yeah, cool. I it, I can't call my cool design company that, but I can call it forth. And then it, it's an invitation now to to talk about liminal space. And I think. Mm-hmm. That gets really exciting too. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where you sort of marry both sides of yourself of like the, the scientist and and the storyteller with the, the spiritual aspect of it. Um, and I know a little bit about your kind of spiritual path and mm-hmm. interests and nature-based stuff, but is that what you grew up with or did you grow up kind of on a more traditional path and find your way here? Yeah, I, I definitely grew up, uh, I think, more traditionally. So my both of my parents are Southern Baptist, and my grandfather's actually a Southern Baptist preacher. Oh. Um, and so I grew up, um, I grew up in in uh, Presbyterian churches, in Christian churches, uh, my whole life. My family actually helped start what is now like. Uh, I guess, I don't know if it's a mega church or not. It's a very big church. <laughs> so I, I, I grew up in the church. Uh, I was, I was fortunate and I think I was saved from a lot of, saved. uh, say I was, well, at one time, yes. <laughs> no, I think, I think I was, uh, I think I avoided some of, uh, <laughs> some of the problems I, uh, of other people I know who grew up like that, uh, in that my dad is a really intellectual guy hmm. and I, he, he's still one of my best friends. I love him to death. He's still very Christian. We get along fine. Cool. Um, he was a medical malpractice attorney. So he was wow. a very intellectual guy, yeah. a lot of research, spent a lot of time reading. Very, 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 very smart guy. Mm. And partially because he was so smart and partially because he was a trial attorney, everything in our house was a debate. Mm. And so if he caught you doing something wrong, he would very rarely yell at you. He would sit you down and he would depose you. <laughs> and you had, oh. like, it was rough. Like, 
but it made me very intellectually rigorous. And then, yeah. um, so, so, so something that's interesting about the Southern Baptist Church is they are line and verse Christians. So they, th- you can call out a scripture by number and they can rattle it off verbatim. Yeah. And they can usually translations like it is wild stuff (laughs) and uh so you know like uh i got very comfortable with you know words like begot uh, and betrothed (laughs) right these uh you know names like uh, zebediah and and methuselah and mahalalel and whatever um and so that part i'm very very grateful for now to, to your point yes i i i i still find christianity really fascinating um but in that intellectual rigor, I mean, it's really his fault. He shouldn't have put it in me like that. Cause <laughs> I, went, I went off. What did he everybody expect? Else. Yeah. What do you expect? I've read a bunch of books and then I got my mind blow up and then, you know, I found my own thing. Um, but no, I think I, I have, um, I, I don't have any hatred or any, I don't, I don't have any negative ill will towards that path at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm super grateful for the way I was raised. Um, and so it, it's an interesting place where I, I, I love Christ and I sort of hate Christendom, if that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> you, you can separate the thing itself from the thing that misguided humans have at times really warped and distorted it into. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I think that it, yes, has been it has become something that is divorced from nature, mm-hmm. which is which is not what I think the original intention was. I think if you look at the first century Second Temple Hellenic Jewish philosopher that was Jesus, mm-hmm. he was he was talking about removing religious authority. So literally, the the Sadducees and the Pharisees who they talk about the Bible, they were having a debate around whether or not the Bible should just be the Bible, the Torah or whether or not it should include all the other rabbinic texts that go along with it, like the Midrash. And that was the debate. Uh, and there was there was this influx, because of Cyrus uh, giving, giving uh, Israel back to the Jews, of Hellenic thought, of Greek thought, it kind of coming in and having a place in, in Jewish society, which a lot of Jews really rejected. And into this comes Jesus, who says, we don't need guys with fancy hats to talk to God. You can talk to God, and in fact, God is in and among you all right now. Mm. And that's that's a pretty revolutionary idea, right. um, you know. And and I think that that part of him and his teaching is sort of lost now. And now we're very much into like rules lawyering, yeah, which feels very unchristian to me. It seems like the guy came to break up the rules. And you know, it's funny. Like my my favorite quote about all of that is Alan Watts had a thing he said once with, that was you know the tragedy of Jesus is one of geography. If he'd just been if he'd just been born in India at the same time and walked around saying I'm God, they would have said congratulations, you've arrived. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's you know it's uh, I don't know it's a heady conversation. I didn't know we were going to get into this, but it's one of those things that I I my heart breaks. My heart breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's such a beautiful loving philosophy, and it is wrapped in so much pseudo pseudo legalese that right. it's. It's not even the thing it was anymore. It's it's something else. Yeah, and, and you know there are there are voices and people and messages out there trying to reclaim that essence, right? Like Richard Rohr Absolutely. and yep. you know the other mystics. Um, it does exist, but it For is sure. sad when when you look at the the larger kind of more mainstream picture. When you said that Christianity has been divorced from nature, I was like, what are you talking about? There's going to be an Easter egg hunt this weekend, and kids have to walk around the grass i'm just fucking with you yeah it will, okay sure yeah let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about why there's fucking easter games, eggs right? oh ostara right <laughs> yeah i mean we can we can go down that road i think that's a great conversation <laughs> <laughs> well and yeah i mean the the sort of uh christianity coming in and eclipsing these pagan traditions but like guess what they're still there they just are rebranded yeah, it's interesting. So this is like, this is something the, it, it's the Romans, right? We have the Romans to blame for this and by extension, the Greeks. So like uh, there was a huge part of Greek thought that was basically, if you encountered gods elsewhere in the world, they were probably just the same gods going by different names. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, they would run into somebody who worshiped a bearded guy who was associated with storms and they'd go, ah, Zeus, perfect. Like you guys worship Zeus. We, we just call him Zeus. Everything's cool. Yeah. 
the Romans picked this up and this became their trick for kind of assimilating everywhere they went, right? They would take over a place and they'd go, no, 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 keep the temples. Everything's fine. Uh, it's just not called Ishtar anymore. It's called uh, Venus. Hmm. And we're done. That's it. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> no problem. Uh, right. And so they did this culturally again and again and again. Yeah. And then, of course, that ends up forming the model for the Christian church. And so you have a lot of uh, kind of secret, syncret- uh, uh, syncretic practices uh, within the Christian tradition. And like, I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing anybody. Like it, it's yeah. all fine. Do whatever you want. Like celebrate Saturnalia. I don't care. Have Santa Claus, you know, in the manger. It's all fine with me. Uh, <laughs> but you know, call it what it is. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, and, and so there's a part of the, of your, your religious, uh, and philosophical studies and interests that is very heady and intellectual. Um, but then there's these sort of physical, real life, real world application and living of that, right? So I'm thinking about like, I know you are also a person who likes being barefoot in the woods, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And so what is that? What is your spiritual practice look like in actual practice now? Yeah. So so this is funny, right? Like this is something that I I learned later. I I think I, like a lot of people, rebelled first. That was my first reaction. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then got interested in some stuff that sounded cool and got interested in some stuff that I that looked like on the label kind of who I wanted to be. Mm. Uh, and after playing around with a bunch of stuff, I think you get to a point. I, some people get to it early. I got to it a little later. That was sort of like, you know, I need to have some hygiene around this. Mm. Like I need to have some regular stuff I'm doing uh, to put some form around some of these ideas, you know, to embody it, if you want to say that, right. Um, it's the, it's the black elk speaks thing, right. If you, if you don't take it and make it physical in the world, it has no power. So for me, uh, truly, um, I, I don't have a religious practice. I wouldn't say that I have a religious practice at all. Um, if I do, it is, it is being out in the woods, and so I, once a week I go for, um, uh, I, I'm a minimalist runner, so I run in minimalist shoes or, or barefoot and I go do a trail run every week and I've done it for, well, I've done it more weekends than I haven't for almost the last 10 years. And I try to spend as much time outside in the sun and the wind and the rain, uh, as I can. Um, and, and that is enough for me. It really, truly is. It doesn't have to mean anything. There don't have to be names or songs or prayers or anything attached to it. Um, and, and truly, Valerie, I thought I was kind of losing my mind when I started doing that. Mm-hmm. I kind of got to a point in my life where I was like, well, this is fucking weird. Like, I'm going out in the woods, no water, no <laughs> cell phone, nothing. I'm taking off as much of my clothes as I can and just running around in the woods. Like, I'm, and this is the only time I feel peace. I must be losing my fucking mind. <laughs> and, uh, Uh, you know, of course, then you start reading like, you know, the Stoics said, uh, you know, the highest law was the law of nature, that everything should follow nature. And you go, huh, okay, well, that sounds a whole lot like the Taoists. Right. Saying everything moves with nature. You got to start moving with nature. And it sounds like the Buddhists saying there's no scripture. It's beyond words. It's beyond gods. I don't care. I don't want to talk about reincarnation. Uh, you know, I, I, when I was in college, I I took a lot of religious classes and I, I studied under a rabbi for about a year and a half. It was an extraordinary experience. And the most powerful thing I ever saw him do, one of the most powerful things I've ever seen anybody do, is he was an um, Orthodox rabbi. He stood in front of a classroom and he held up the Torah and he said, if this is getting between you and God, you should throw it away. Mm, and wow. for a, Jews don't talk about the Torah like Christians talk about the Bible. Like it is, it's on a different level. And it blew my mind, like the courage that he had to say that. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not Jewish. I mean, I've studied the Torah and I, you know the Midrash and all that. But there was something getting between me and whatever it is that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Just being outside in the woods barefoot puts me right next to it, and I love it. I just I'm one of those weird people that likes getting sweaty and dirty, and like I like being uncomfortable. It's I don't like, like, well, <laughs> and you, you owned the animalness of your human being. <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a great way to say it. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And what's what I also love though is um you know, you're, you you don't shy away from also being a person of the 21st century because I think sometimes it's like this, you know, we we meet people or read books where it's like, oh, this is like fucking Walden and I just feel like a you know, a a chump over here with my iPhone and this or that <laughs> whatever and 
uh, one of the things that you you mentioned is that in addition to doing like the trail running, like you also like lifting weights and boxing. And oh, I love boxing. Yeah, yeah and I love that because like I was every time practically that I, I I love doing Orange Theory. I don't know if you've ever done it. It's mm, you know it's just like a circuit kind of workout, and you're okay. you're on treadmills, you're on water rowers, you're doing free weights, you're doing TRX straps. You know, it's in a kind of dark room with these orange lights on the ceiling. And it's mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing that would have used to scare me because it sounds intense and I don't do like boot camp kind of stuff. But it's as, it's basically it's as intense as you want it to be. And it's very like not focused on uh, body shaming like, oh, we need to mm-hmm. burn calories. So like I totally appreciate their philosophy. Um, but every time that I'm in there. I, I like have this brief moment where I'll look around and I sort of have this flash to like, what the fuck would my 500 year ago ancestors think about what is happening in here right now? <laughs> like <laughs> we are having to lift heavy things yeah. because we don't lift heavy things. It is so weird, <laughs> but I want to make room yeah, for it's... both, you know? Of course. No, and you should, right? And it's, um, you know, it gets back to that idea of stoicism, right? Like, it's it's that Conan the Barbarian shit. It's like, I want to struggle. I want to fight. I want to hurt. I want to, you know, like, even even in debating with people, right? So, so okay, let me, so let me back up a little bit. Um, and, and I know Conan the Barbarian is, is somewhat problematic because of its author. But there, I said that part, too. <laughs> um, so I... I have a friend of mine who is is a great guy. We hang out a lot. We debate around a lot of stuff. And he's he does kung fu. Uh, he does competitive wrestling kung fu. It's full contact MMA kind of stuff. Yeah. And he's also very intellectually rigorous. And I mentioned to him that um, Socrates was a wrestler. I don't know if you know this. Uh, it, so we don't have anything Socrates wrote. We only have the notes that Aristotle had about him. And in it, it is mentioned several times. And it's a known fact that when he was young, Socrates was like hot stuff. He was like this buff wrestler and he was fucking good at wrestling. And like people referred him. They're like, oh, yeah, it's like it's like an old like, hey, slugger like this guy. Like I remember Socrates he used to beat people up. And then he's got this incredible intellectual rigor where he's like, fight me, fucking debate me. I want you to. And yeah. like and, and by the way, my whole method is teaching you to fight yourself. Uh-huh. And like it's all tied together. Right. And I think in a in a fake news world right in a in a post-truth everything is real and and by the way i'm pointing that finger at some of like the new agey stuff too like hey it's my perspective like you can't tell me what to think there is an element of competitiveness and and even combativeness like i want people to take stands and fight for ideas Mm -hmm. and and in the same way that like I love intellectual rigor and I love debating with people and I want the people I debate with to have done their homework and I want, I want them to prove me wrong too. Like I, it's no fun to fight wimps. Like, (laughs) you know, I want to, I want to fight Titans. And, and similarly, I, and in a, in a way that is exactly the same, like, and it, man, it confuses my wife. We are granola crunching hippy dippy kids, but like she'll come home and just, I'm watching boxing. Yeah. What are you doing? This makes sense to me. Like, there's something on a about primal the level. Yeah, and they're athletic and they're smart and like, yeah, I don't know. I I get the 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 workout thing too. Like, yeah. man, I love going out in the woods and just sitting in silence and going, oh, a red tail hawk. Oh, look, a little jackrabbit. But like, I don't know. I think deadlifting's kind of fun too. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I like it. Yeah, I mean, and and of course, yes, there are many aspects of our of our world, modern world that feel very contrived and strange and don't feel like they're honoring that we are animals just like any other animal. Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, we've also created these like really comfy structures and like beds and pillows and they're nice and I like them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. Like uh, me and my wife were at a a parade and um, an antique motorcycle group came by and I was like, oh man, we should totally get a motorcycle with a sidecar. And she was like, how dare you, blah, I'm not going to ride in no sidecar. Like, I'm going to get my own motorcycle. And you know my wife. Yeah. She's a, she's a labor and delivery nurse. She's totally badass. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, don't get it twisted. Like, I'm in the sidecar with my grapefruit mimosa and my dog. Like, <laughs> you can you can totally drive. Like, I don't want that. Like, it's, uh, But yes, I also want the creature comforts. Like, yes. I, I want it all. And I think that that's, that's great. Like, isn't that natural? Like, 
It is, I think. And yeah, we don't ha- we don't have to eschew all of these creature comforts to be genuine in our love for the trees or the rivers or whatever else. As long as we're not, you know, we're like taking some steps to be mindful of like, you know, I'm not buying plastic straws anymore. And that's a very easy change for me to make um, because I know that it hurts the waters that I love, that kind of thing. We can't yeah, have both. It's the difference between being nature affirming or life affirming mm-hmm. and and nature denying or life denying, right? Right. Like part of part of your nature as your animal nature is like my dog sleeps like 18 hours a day. He's the laziest thing in the world. <laughs> He's also a 90 pound white wolf that could maul me if he wanted to, right? Yeah. Like I want to live like an elephant. I'm big and quiet and I eat plants and I move kind of slowly and if you cross the people I love, I'll tear you in half. <laughs> like <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> like that's that's me. Like and and I I love that about other people too. Like mm-hmm. there's there is a ferociousness and a confidence that comes with somebody who's done the intellectual rigor and who is restful that is totally different than someone who's just angry or uh extremist or fundamental or fundamentalist, right? It is a different kind of strength and it is horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> someone who's done the homework like yeah, you don't step into the ring with a boxer like if you're not a triple A world class boxer. That guy will literally kill you. And yeah. I have respect for that. Like that dude trained. Right. Totally. So this is a weird question, but like one of the things, you know, as you were sharing about some of the religious history stuff, um and debating and that kind of thing, like I've always felt, I don't know if I'm missing part of my hippocampus or something, or I just don't mentally train enough, but I I envy people who have this uh, ability to retain and articulate things so well. And I feel like I, I, I have a little bit of that, but not nearly as much of it as I want. And... I don't know, like, is that something that for you, because I feel like it's a very important quality as a storyteller, too. I'm thinking mm. even of the story that you told around the fire, you know, just the, oh, sheer, sure. yeah, the yeah. sheer memory aspect of that. Um, that is that something that comes naturally or is it something, a skill that you've had to build and almost train? So hmm, it's a good question. I think I, I truly believe it's something you have to train. Mm hmm. I think I think there's probably outlier cases, right, of people who just have perfect mimetic memory and, and all that stuff. I certainly don't. Um, like I know, for example, like my party trick is not remembering people I've met before, um, <laughs> and it's it's the it's the pits, and I hate it. But I'm like that guy. Yeah. Um, like I can I can be like I don't know your name, and they're like, oh, my name's Valerie. We met at this party. We hung out for like three hours. And I'm like, oh yeah, your left shoe was untied the whole time. Uh-huh. And they're like, like, whoa, what the fuck? Like. I just, I, I do, I do well in detail and yeah. usually I don't do well in broad strokes, but I will say I grew up in a household where we sang songs and we read together and we, um, I was expected to answer questions. Like if I said something, I got asked, why do you feel that way a whole lot? And I owe a lot of that to my mother actually, who was a grade school teacher for like 10 or 15 years before, before she had me. And so I was very engaged and I was expected, not in a not in a strict way, but just as a as a in the course of polite conversation, you were expected to be able to back up your opinions and and talk about what you read that day. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to grow up in a household where that kind of stuff was was reinforced in me from a very early age. Today, I, I really believe one of the best things you can do is write by hand. Hmm. I think uh, I spend a tremendous amount of time taking notes by hand on a pen and paper. Um, I come from the, the Ray Bradbury school of storytelling. He wrote every single book he ever, ever published with uh, a number two Ticonderoga pencil and a yellow legal pad. Wow. And if it's, if it's good enough for uncle Ray, it's good enough for me. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, but I, I really do think there's something about hearing something, saying it in your head, making your hand do it, having a record of it. It's in your own handwriting. Mm-hmm. That is a totally magical act that is criminally underrated. Yeah. Um, and so I I love taking notes. I write in all of my books. If you ever borrow a book from me, I there I pray I never get deposed because <laughs> my, my books are full of like recipes and ad hoc poetry that I decided to write in the margins and mm-hmm. like references to other books and like 
uh, I don't know, like writing little things to the author. Like, what the fuck were you thinking here? Where's your right. citation? I have <laughs> lots of I have lots of like sad face, angry face, happy face, stars. Right. Awesome. <laughs> so that's that's you having a conversation right. with the book, right? Yeah. Like that's fantastic. And and look, good memory, bad memory, like. I, I I know it's not like a it's not I can't write a book about this right and sell a million copies but like just write shit down it's great like you can throw it away later it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah no that, and that really that, I think that really helps to hear um, how how impactful that practice can be because it's something that I I've done on and off and I resisted doing like Kindle and stuff for a long time now I mostly do it for fiction because when I have something that I'm actually wanting to be able to perhaps retain and articulate um, and like integrate into my mind, I do, I have to be able to physically underline, write little words in the margins and uh, otherwise it's literally in one ear and out the other. So if like I'm at, you know, even one of the like casual talks that we had that weekend recently, I'm there with my notebook, not because there's going to be a test or something, but because otherwise if I am not doing that, it's just it flies away. <laughs> so this this is my and now we now we've got onto it because this is my new secret mission. I think that the that the secret rebellion we should all be doing the little revolutionary act is sending letters to each other. Oh yeah. Like I I've convinced a couple people in my life and we've started sending letters and Valerie it's the most magical thing in the world cool. because you you sit down and you have to write something in your own hand you can't type it. And it, you know, you can cross stuff out, but you know, write it in pen, by the way, don't use pencil. I want you to like Get messy. really commit, yeah. commit. Yes. Yes. Smear <laughs> the ink. And then you fold it up and you stick it in the mail. You can't take it back. And then you have to wait. <laughs> yeah. So you don't get this, little, this, this Facebook dopamine drip where you just uh -huh. feel good all the time. You kind of go like, oh, I hope they get it. You know, I hope it gets there. Jesus. <laughs> um, then they get it. They have to read it and then they might not respond to it. Right. And or then they if might they do, six weeks just, later or six months yes. later. <laughs> Totally. So I got a letter recently from I'm telling a friend about, I said, I think, you know, letter writing is a revolutionary act in this day and age. And he goes, Oh, I'm going to write you a letter. So he sent me like six cards that he had written me over six different days in an envelope he had made himself. Wow. And it was like, I was almost crying. I was yeah. like, what this is like, this is storytelling. This is fantastic. I was, he was telling me about his day and how he was feeling and what the weather was like. And it was like, wow. this is great. I got to cancel Facebook. Fuck like this is, this Seriously. is the thing. So I, I really do feel like in an age where we're, we're forgetting our animal nature, mm. we're not taking good care of ourselves. We've kind of we have bad spiritual hygiene. Man, just write a letter. Like that's a that's a magical act. Like you can go do that. It's great. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and even <laughs> right, even you sharing that example, it's like you know that there. Things that we do, like even the act of journaling, which I think very much has its place and I enjoy it. But but hearing that example for, about your friend, it makes me think, oh, well, I want to write these things because it helps me to process it. But also, it's nice to share them sometimes. So why so not just, yeah. do them at the same time, but just writing about what I'm experiencing and sharing it with somebody that I love who wants to hear it, who I maybe will share back something similar with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think getting back to that idea of like competition and, and combativeness and ideas colliding with each other, right? The antithesis of that is you live in your own little world where nobody can touch it and you have total control over the truth, right? Mm -hmm. And stories tell us like when you do that, like that is the dragon sitting on its on its money. That is the ice queen. That is like that's that's a bad thing. Don't do that, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, journaling is super healthy. Big fan of it. Like yes, definitely go meditate. Spend time alone. Do what you need to do. But maybe next time you feel bad that you didn't journal for three or four days just like jot a letter to somebody because yeah. guess what? It's doing, it's doing the same thing. And now also you're putting something out there Yeah. and like they have to respond to it and they might be unhappy with something you said or excited, or there may be a weird synchronicity there you didn't know about, but things are moving. Things are happening. Right. Yeah. And it so makes I would me letter writing as external journaling journal yes. to the world. Yeah. Cause I think about, you know, in some of the, the memoirs that we read about people who existed in a time before email like there's so much of of the beautiful uh, information and words of these people that are not, like, yes, sometimes their own journals, but a lot of times their correspondences with each other. Yeah, right? totally. So, yeah, that's really you, cool. You asked, you know, before I came on the show, you asked me for a bunch of books and one, I don't think I put it on there. There's an amazing book called Chambers for a Memory Palace. Hmm. 
Hmm. And it's it's written by two architects. It's one of the best books I've read um, in the last year. It was recommended to me by a friend who's an architect. And uh, it is literally it's like an architecture book for non-architects they don't they don't talk it's all about architectural theory but it is literally their correspondence back and forth over several years nice. so it's a, one of them writing a letter and saying you know i was just i was just at this piazza in italy here's a little sketch i made of it and i'm kind of thinking about light and i think i think the light here is really interesting and the guy will be like you know light's a good point but think about elevation in that space mm-hmm. here i'm at the taj mahal right now let me sketch that for you and talk about elevation and it's like this is great. <laughs> like cool. it's, a, it's, it's an unbelievably good book. And it's exactly what you're talking about. It's just a correspondence between two people having a share, journaling to each other. Yeah. Did you ever read the Griffin and Sabine series? No. Oh, my gosh. I Lay have on me. a few of them sitting. So there are these books that are like maybe, you know, 10 by 10 or some some weird shape, hardcover, not too okay. thick. Um, and... Mm, yeah i can't read the nick something i'll put it in the show notes um the author but there there were three originally and then there have been at least three more added i haven't looked in years to see if there were more but it's a correspondence that starts in a sort of um science fiction sort of way of like i i got this letter but like no one lives here kind of thing and this Mm. i think there were first the first ones were written in the 90s um and but do you remember those books can't remember what they were called but when we were kids they were like the postman books where like you could open and there were actual letters and like so it's like that but for grown-ups of like this (laughs) magical kind of science fictiony uh relationship that's building through like space and time so cool and i haven't read them in years but now having this conversation i'm gonna go back and read them again see isn't that funny though that like we we both have a sense memory of a book that had a letter in it yeah you lift up the little tab and it's like i don't know they could have just drawn a picture of it but like there's something novel about that like Mm -hmm. and, and maybe that it maybe it's just that it takes the the littlest amount of action on your part and to there's something about it and, yeah. like seeing someone else's handwriting because you know that that took time and it's something of them in a way that a typed letter, like, yeah, it's not that you don't value somebody's thoughts and the time that they took to type you a letter and it might be a very personal letter, but there's something about seeing the handwriting that like you feel a deeper sense of connection. Totally. Yeah. As, as a designer, you know, I, I spend a lot of time having, uh, very cerebral conversations with clients about typography, right? Hmm. Like you should choose this typeface and not that typeface. Yeah. And it, unless you're dealing with somebody who's savvy, it always goes the same way, which is like, why are we having this conversation about fonts? I don't care. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> just, just use Times New Roman. Just use Arial. Just use Verdano. Whatever. But if you can kind of lead them by the hand and you know you show them their name or their company's name and a bunch of different fonts, they go like, I don't like the way my name looks and. Helvetica. And you go, yeah, okay, great. Let's have that cover. That's it. Why not? That's interesting. Uh-huh. Right. And so much more so with somebody's individual handwriting, right? Like what a wonderful thing, uh, to, to get a letter that somebody it's, it's a part of them, right? It's like, it's hearing, it's like hearing it in their voice. Mm-hmm. It's totally different. Yeah, definitely. So Drew, what is the fucking point? Wow. Okay. Uh, you know, I, Oh man, it's not a good answer. Um, <laughs> There's no like good Rush? answer. Spoiler alert. Do you like Rush? Do you know the band? You know the band Rush? Yeah, you, you know, know Chris is what? bigger into it than I am, but I like him. Oh yeah, yeah. He and I were yeah. singing a bunch of songs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it, I, why are we here? Because we're here. Roll the mm. bones. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't think that I have. In all of my time and everything I've seen and heard, and and man, I hope I get proved wrong about this. That'd be great. Um, I don't. I don't think that we should spend a whole lot of time worrying about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know why we're here. I'm not, I'm not confident we're going to figure out why we're here. Uh, I don't know why bad things happen. I, 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 I truly don't. And I, I don't have a lot of time to spend on that. Yeah. Um, just take chances, live, live the most self-determined life you can live, uh, fight stuff, challenge stuff, get beat up a few times, grow stronger, and then pass it on to the next person. Cause it's a revolving door, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Amen. As Anne Lamott says, a hundred years from now, all new people. That's right. Yeah. With any luck. Yeah. God. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, yeah. And I yeah. agree. I mean, it's, 
I was feeling a little self-conscious about my name of my podcast because, I mean, in a sense, like, yes, there, there almost is no point in even entertaining some of these questions. But at the same time, like, I know you're interested in philosophy and sure. and as an examined life and all of this. And so it's it's almost like it's just have if you're going to spend time thinking about these questions, you, you better enjoy it. Otherwise, don't waste your time and go do something yeah, don't, that you do Don't give yourself enjoy. heartburn. Yeah. Yeah. No, don't. OK. Yeah. OK. That's actually here we go. I don't know what the point <laughs> is, but let me give you some pointers. Uh, number one, ditch self-hatred right now. Uh, it's a load Amen. of crap and you don't, you don't have time for it. Um, you don't need to feel guilty about not having a meditation practice. You don't need to feel guilty about skipping church or, or sinning or whatever it is. Like get rid of your hangup. It's only holding you back. Yes. Um, then go do whatever it is you really want to do. Like if you want to live an outdoors life and you want to run around naked in the sun, like go do that. Um, that's great. Go find wherever you get energy from and just do a whole lot of that. Yeah. Um, and then one day you'll wake up and you'll be an expert in that thing. And people have a whole lot of questions for you about how did you get here? And how's your life so bad? How did you get so strong? And, and it's like, no, there's no secret. There's no method. And man, get rid of your hangups. Just like, show up and do the thing. <laughs> show up and do the thing. It's yeah. fine. Mic drop. Love it. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so eat, I, eat, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow. Yes. We got. Yes. <laughs> Revolving door. So your website and all of that jazz will be in the show notes. Is there anything that you want to just tell people about what you're up to? Uh, yeah, check out Forth. Uh, we're at forth.design. Yes, it's a real website. Um, you can type it in just like that. Uh, we're based in San Antonio, Texas, but we do work all over. Um, and I love talking to people about storytelling and the art of storytelling. Um, other than that, I'm not up to much other than uh, taking care of two dogs and trying to become the best trophy husband I can for my wife. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> thanks so much, Drew. Hey, thanks. This is a blast. I enjoyed it. OMG, friend, you made it all the way to the end of the episode. It is truly an honor that you've chosen to spend this time with me. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can find show notes for this and other episodes at ValerieKMartin.com slash podcast. And that's just the letter K. And just to make it a little confusing, you can find me on Instagram at ValkMartin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin spelled out. I love getting DMs from you guys about what you're enjoying in the podcast, questions, ideas for topics or interviews. And if you want to bring a huge smile to my face, leave a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps so much. Just go to bit.ly slash WTFP review, all lowercase, and it'll take you less than a minute. I'll see you next time. And until then, keep asking the big questions. <laughs>